Hello, I'm Hamish, and this is the Line in the Sand podcast, where Amos and I talk everything footy with a particular focus on the Essendon and Hawthorne football clubs. You could say um, we're recording this on um, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening. You could say that today has been the darkest day in Australian sport. There's um, with reports coming out uh, in the ABC about recent um, investigations that have been completed at the Hawthorne Football Club. It was pretty damning. How are you this evening, Amos? I'll be damned, Hamish. Uh, Well, say it's the darkest day in Australian sport. I'm not sure it's that yet, but uh, it's up there. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Uh, And the fact that it's uh, my club, who I've always held in the highest esteem, is uh, shattering beyond belief. But, Mm. uh, you know, there's going to be two sides to this story. So it'd be interesting to hear both sides. but uh, there's got to be some basis of truth to this. Uh, I don't see what the people have to gain by coming out with yeah. allegations like these. Because um, they're as heinous as you could get. Mm. So, um, yeah, I can't see how why they would come out with falsehoods of this nature. What would they have to gain by it? So. Yes, um, it's only just come out today. So I guess uh, we... we, we with the fullness of time and with um, Gillen promising a full investigation from the AFL. I'm sure the players association are going to jump on this too. Uh, I'm sure uh, we will see a lot more and it must be said that um, Alistair Clarkson has come out this afternoon and strongly refuted some of the claims that have been reported in the media, at least. I, I mean, obviously we haven't read the full report, so we don't know what was actually said in the report, but the media mm talked about him being mentioned and he strongly refuted some of the things that have been um, insinuated about him. So um, he's obviously prepared to get out there and defend himself. But um, I guess for me, it did take a long time for himself and Chris Fagan to um, workshop their um, statements. Uh, So they were obviously checked by the lawyers and the PR people before they went out. Uh, Fully understandably, I would have thought, um, given the nature of... um, the allegations that have been thrown at them. Uh, it's it's going to be a tough few months and I don't think it's a great time for, um, firstly, the players that were um, interviewed for the, orig- the initial report at Hawthorne. Um, this is obviously going to be dredged up more and the AFL is going to be asking them to go through an interview process again. And some of the... Um, some of the stuff that's been alleged is um, would have at the time had some... Um, pretty horrific impacts on their mental health and the mental health of family members and bringing that all up again and um, reliving that trauma could be a big issue for them as well. So I hope they, I look, I don't think there are any winners in this and I just hope that they get the support that they need. Yeah, absolutely. And the AFL have come out and said that that is paramount. Uh, however, um, yeah, it's taken a lot of courage for the people to mm. uh, come out in the way they have. And mm. I think Caroline Wilson, I might have said it earlier today, where um, because the <coughs> review conducted by Hawthorne uh, in the wake of the Sewell Rioli situation that came to light earlier in the year um, was done by external people who were um, chosen from a, a cultural sensitivity. Um, you know, perhaps they felt finally that they had someone that they could actually talk to about this openly uh, rather than your traditional uh, integrity unit, which is generally made up of middle-aged white males. Mm. Um, So, um, you know, it's the allegations are, as I said before, of the most heinous kind when you think about it and put it, put them in perspective. If you were to uh, relate your own family situation, Mm. um, you know, put yourself in those shoes. So, as you say, there's not going to be any winners out of this. It's um, yeah. something that, yeah, we probably have to dance around a little bit given the sensitivities of everything. But um, there's no doubt that uh, a lot of the fan base this morning were bewildered, angry, uh, shocked. Uh, any any adjective bar a positive one, you could throw at it really. So, um, yeah, and no, no, I agree. Yeah, it's it, hard for Fagan and, and Clarkson to immediately react because they've now got other jobs with other organizations that have to be considered as well. So um, 
yeah, but interestingly, Chris Fagan uh, chose just to come out and say, yeah, I'll take a leave of absence until and assist with the investigation. Uh, Clarkson, as is his character, I suppose, has come out a bit more vehemently and, and denied mm. wrongdoing in the same breath. So um, interesting we haven't heard anything from Jason Burt, who's also named in the uh, in the article. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, pretty horrific reading. Yes. Yes, and, you know, I mean, but you're like, like the others, he has other organisations that he has to consider as well. He's the head of mm. sport at Caulfield Grammar now and um, I believe runs a consultancy as well. So it'll be interesting to see... Um, what happens there? I, um, for me, I think um, the can of worms that it potentially opens is something that the AFL has to embrace and finally deal with. I, I yeah. it would not surprise me in the slightest if, um, after the courage that um, some of these players named in this report have had to actually come out and um, shine a light on the cultural problems that the AFL still clearly has to a certain extent. Um, I, th- I don't think, um, you know, even if it was at the lower end of what's reported, it's still completely unacceptable behaviour and, and behaviour that needs to be stamped out. So I think that um, it may encourage others to finally stick their hands up and say, this happened to me or that happened to me. And um, hopefully it's finally the cultural change we need to see in the AFL and the wider sporting community, given that we still seem to have problems, um, you know, before this, it was Collingwood, uh, Adam Goods. Uh, you still see fans um, making inappropriate um, statements on social media and um, blatantly racist comments. So hopefully, um, if nothing else, uh, it it can at least be the trigger point for actually dealing with this issue and getting it sorted out. Yeah, 100%. And it also, uh, on the back of that, uh, you know, elite sport, uh, we always say it is about winning mm. uh, because that's what people are paid to do at that level. Um, and if you don't win, then you often lose your job mm. in terms of coaching and all the rest of it. But at what point does winning or is the cost of winning too much? Mm. So, you know, we're talking about a, a club who's been ultra successful in comparison to other clubs in the last 40 or 50 years. Um, and we're talking about uh, two of the main or three of the main um, protagonists in the football department uh, who, you know, led that success um, and uh, pretty ruthless when it goes to it. And I've no doubt, um, you know, some of the points in the article talk about uh, players being told to uh, perhaps uh, remove themselves from their partner and things like that, which is, uh, downright disgraceful when you think mm. about it. To me, um, the player, his family, and his partner are part of the package. You draft the player, you draft the family. Um, perhaps a different story when you're talking about friends, because as the saying goes, you can can't choose your family, but you can choose your mates. Yep. Um, you know, and Braden Maynard from Collingwood came out a few years ago and said, "Well, I had a decision to make." I had to potentially, I had to, you know, distance myself from some friends who were perhaps heading down the wrong path and taking me away from um, being elite in terms of the habits that I had and therefore holding me back. But uh, when it comes to a partner, family and those sort of things, you can't, you can't be asking players to distance themselves from that. Mm. Um, you know, and the allegations go so far as to say that uh, forcibly removed from their families, uh, which when you're talking in context of uh, Indigenous players, yeah, uh, sounds remarkably like the stolen generation, which is just, wow. Mm. Yeah. I don't think there's a bigger bomb you can drop <laughs> mm. yeah. in that context. it's um, And if that is true, then, uh, yeah, there's no place for any of them in the football, football world. Oh or, no, absolutely! Or mainstream if, society, really. When you think yeah, about it. if if the if if it is true, um, what's being said, there is no coming back from this for any of the people involved. No, exactly right. That's that's mm-hmm. done and dusted. Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, certainly for Clarkson and Fagan, um, 
a lot of people have held them in the highest regard for a very long time. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's devastating, really. But uh, at Oakley, it flies in the face of everything that they portrayed outwardly as being, you know, family first and, and all that sort of stuff. Hawthorne's yeah. always been the family club, which uh, echoing uh, the Hawks Insiders uh, podcast, uh, I've never really felt comfortable with that moniker i suppose we live we talk about it but it's uh you know uh, given we had all the ties with the pokies and everything it flies in the face of family uh so it's uh it's going to take a fair bit to rebuild from this um i i'm not trying to be dismissive here but i think we will move on we could uh we could analyze this all night and all <laughs> podcast but um there's still a lot to play out here. And unfortunately, I think it is going to be a topic of conversation over many podcasts over the summer break as more comes out in the media. But I think we'll leave it there for now and move on to some actual football games. Uh, I want to recap some of um, well, both games from last weekend. Uh, we'll start with the uh, Friday night game. Uh, it's fair to say that... Um, the Cats broke their preliminary final hoodoo and did it relatively easy on Friday night. Yeah, it was uh, one of the most boring prelims we've all ever seen, I think, unfortunately. Mm. Um, the Lions uh, didn't really uh, put up much of a fight, really. Uh, I uh, used the word insipid to describe it to someone when I was talking to them on Saturday. Uh, that's a fairly accurate description, I would have thought. But, mm. uh, yeah, I think they um, had two great wins in the first two weeks of the finals and, unfortunately, just came up against the best. Yeah. And, and we're shown just how far away from the best they are. Yeah. It, it's fair to say that our early season predictions that the cats were going to, were too old and were going to fall over eventually <laughs> didn't quite eventuate. And um, yeah, like, you know, Tom Hawkins, four goals, mm. Paddy Dangerfield, 28 possessions and two goals. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah that they, <laughs> It was they look yeah you're right it wasn't the most exciting game because it was so one sided and it was one sided from mm. the beginning but they they were just amazing and um, you know I think like I mean you know we I think they deserve every bit of credit to get there I, I was a bit worried for them given that they'd only played one game in like the last mm. month prior to this whether that whether they'd be off the boil but um, clearly not the only um, downside i suppose for them was the um injury to Holmes, um yeah. doing a hamstring or groin or whatever it ended up being um he he looked pretty bad and i think um it's, like, i think he was running at training yesterday i saw somewhere but um yeah i think he had to get through today like a yeah. main test today but mm. yeah and let's it's fair to say that there were plenty of other afl stories i was reading this afternoon so <laughs> yeah, i don't yeah, know correct. whether he actually got through to no, I couldn't tell you either, session, so. but um, is there a grand final this week? Uh, I believe there is still a football <laughs> game to go. Yes. Um, yeah, right. yeah. But yeah. Um, look, fair credit to Brisbane for making it this far, but yeah, they were just outclassed in this game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how their off season goes now, given the um, dramas with their head coach and what that means. Obviously they'll have a break for a while. So the players yeah. can hopefully get away from it and stay away from it, but it'll be interesting to see what that means for their preseason, because it's fair to say that the investigation will be a significant one. So it's um, highly likely that the assistant coaches will be running much of the preseason training when they do come back. Um, yeah. And it'll be interesting I to see where they bounce back from here, given how badly they were, um, taken care of in the preliminary final yeah i can't um i can't see that investigation being done quickly mm. um and that's not to say that's not a criticism it's just got to be thorough yeah uh because of the nature of the allegations so um as the saying in pepper pig goes it will take as long as it will take yeah. um but uh for north melbourne as well you know what does that mean for their off season um but we'll talk about that later yeah. um the uh Look, as you say, full credit to Brisbane. I think they did really well to get to um, uh, the prelim. They knocked off a couple of bogey teams, could we say, in Richmond, who have a pretty mm -hmm. decent record against them, and Melbourne, who have taken them to the cleaners uh, at least twice this year before the finals. So, um, But, yeah, unfortunately, just ran into a rampant Geelong team who um, look pretty good. There's an interesting stat going around, though. There's been uh, three preliminary finals by 71 points. 
Uh, last year, the Bulldogs beat Port by 71 and then got flogged by Melbourne. And in 2014, uh, Sydney beat Collingwood by 71 mm. points and then got flogged by Hawthorne. So uh, Geelong winning by 71 points, third time lucky, or will they get flogged by Sydney? <laughs> Who knows? But, uh, Yes. Well, well, we'll talk about our grand final preview a bit later on and make our mm. predictions there. Um, I was at a conference last weekend, so I didn't see most of the Saturday night game. I was at the, you know, with a conference, they have the conference after party. So I was out um, having a few drinks on that um it's on that very, night, very unlike you, I've got to say. Sorry, didn't mean to play the first of the bubble there. Yeah, so um, I did see the last 10 minutes though. I was um, walking back from dinner. Uh, actually, well, it was from dinner, then I watched the last 10 minutes, then went to the after party because I got a bit excited. So, um, it'd be um, <laughs> It's fair to say that the last 10 minutes of that game, even though I sort of didn't really care much for either side, was some of the most exciting football I've seen this season. I think I saw the best part of the game. Um, I think you did, yeah. yeah. But uh, is there anything that you can, um, that anything you wanted to sort of share from the earlier parts of the game that I didn't see? Well, I must say I missed the first quarter, although I was listening on the radio and uh, Sydney got out to you know, a very quick start hmm. uh, and Collingwood sort of reeled them back. But um yeah, fair play to Collingwood because they could have easily turned up their toes halfway through the last quarter, being mm. four or five goals down. Um, and they just kept coming and coming and coming. And it was reminiscent of the 2014 prelim between uh, Port and Hawthorne. Um, yeah, Hawthorne were out by about five goals yeah. with uh, 10 or 15 minutes to go. And all of a sudden, Port Adelaide just went bang, bang, bang. And uh, Collingwood did the same thing, even to the last, you know, 10 seconds where... Um, you just knew they were going to have a crack getting into their forward line and uh, and they almost pinched it. And uh, I'm not sure if the footy world was celebrating or yeah. commiserating, really, because um, they were so gallant. Uh, yeah. you know, we love to bag Collingwood, obviously, but you've got to give credit where it's due. Um, that was, was, was uh, it a push in the back or not? Uh, look, watching it live, I thought it was 50-50, to be fair. Yeah. I thought there was elements of being in the side and, I didn't actually think he pushed that hard, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, replays, you could make a case either way, I think. Mm. So, I think I think he was holding his ground. I think the umpire made yeah. the right decision in not paying yeah. it. Um, yeah. Look, I don't yeah, think I, it was a mark, though. I mean, no, it, I think he dropped the, the mark. Problem, yeah, so yeah. That, the... <laughs> There's no doubt about that. So uh, one of my good mates, who's a Collingwood supporter, was texting, you know, through that, and he blew up immediately as soon as mm. that decision was made, and I'm like. Yeah, I don't think there's a free kick. I didn't say this at the time because I thought, oh, geez, that's rough. I'm not going to really delve too deep into that. But, uh, um, yeah, watching it back and seeing it a couple of times live, I think you're right. Held his ground, but definitely dropped the mark. Mm. So, play on. However, history will tell us that uh, he he goes back and slots the goal and then Collingwood have to get an extra couple of few minutes to go. So, uh, But I will say throughout the game, Sydney got the, the rub of the green. Uh, there's a couple of 50-meter penalties against Collingwood players, which have not been paid over recent weeks. Um, uh, and Jack, your man, Jack Ginevan, suffered one of them for getting right up onto the mark. Uh, and the umpire called for 50 um, down into, the, you know, in Collingwood's full pocket. Normally, they just pull them back to the nine-meter mark, but yeah. called 50 on it. I thought, wow, that's that was ridiculous because mm. he didn't actually go over the mark. Mm. Uh, so I don't know what the umpire was doing there, but anyway. Uh, Collingwood certainly had the raw end of the stick. Um, having said that, that having said that, they did get more five more free kicks for the game. It was fifteen to yeah. Sydney and twenty to. Collingwood. But you're right; it was um, there were some like that. That um, oh yeah, I mean, free kick more contentious. Yeah, free kick numbers are misleading though to me mm. because you know you can get more free kicks because you're just into the ball first. Yeah, um, but it's more about how and when they're paid and whether they're paid consistently for me. Mm. And certainly, uh, the Swans got. Um, the better free kicks in terms yeah. of quality versus quantity. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, uh, It the, the time doesn't stop uh, post game uh, when your season's over though. Um, there's um, already talk in the media of um, Collingwood trying to move Grundy on to Melbourne. Mm. There's a trade deal potentially happening there. Um, uh, yep. Yeah. I think that's, um, 
would be a um, a perfect situation for the demons with um Grundy and Gorn resting in or, or Gorn resting in the forward line, um, especially when Collingwood's paying half a Grundy salary for the next few years. Um, <laughs> yeah, correct. Uh, it's a great situation for them. Well, there was an interesting article during the week saying you'll know, and it might have even involved uh, Matt Brendel, ex recruiting manager at Collingwood. Who, uh, I forget who wrote it, but uh, or whether it was a radio slot, but uh, the comment was you'll know how much Melbourne is contributing to the salary by the value of the draft pick they give up. Mm. So if they're only giving up, you know, sort of a late second rounder, then they're paying most of the salary. But if Colling, if they're giving up a first round pick or, you know, something of that ilk, then Collingwood are chipping in a fair, fair portion of it. So, Mm. um, yeah. So uh, interesting to see how that plays out. I personally am not sure it's the greatest move for Grundy or Melbourne. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Great insurance. If Gorn go, uh, Gorn goes down, there's no doubt about that. But uh, yeah, neither of them are, are natural key forwards. Gorn's mm. probably got some decent runs on the board the last couple of years. But um, yeah, I wouldn't be. Uh, I don't know. Just it almost seems to me like Melbourne have gone. Well, we'll just get the best two ruckmen, so no one else can have them, mm. and worry about it later. So. Yeah. yeah, I guess when you've got a player like Fritch that can play as a tall forward, even if he's not that tall, it gives you mm. that option to at least explore. And if the deal is right, if if the deal's yeah. right, you'd be hard pressed to say no. Oh, Any club would be hard pressed to say no. If you can get Grundy for a fraction of what he's worth, and oh. and the added bone, uh, Schadenfreude of Collingwood having to pay half his salary, then um, yeah, you, you're certainly going to explore it. Oh, absolutely. They've gone to the Amos Redfern book of uh, keeper league fantasy football. Mm. Uh, get the two best. Um, you know, least uh, yeah, what's the word I'm looking for here? Get the two best players from the position that's got the least depth mm. and let everyone else fight out the scraps. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, you know, uh, it could work, it could work a dream, who knows? But uh, yeah, I would have thought Melbourne had a couple of other spots to fill first, but anyway, uh, why wouldn't you have a crack? I mean, look, there's a lot of there's a lot to out, play out uh, in this trade period, um, mm. uh, but you know that was certainly an interesting one to come straight out of um, Collingwood's loss on Saturday night. Um, I hear Hawthorne's gone after um, Lloyd Meek, or at least Meek said he wants to come to Hawthorne. So is that um, going to fix the ruck woes at Hawthorne if he does end up there? Well, I don't. Yeah, I think it just adds. It means we'll have three young. Ruckman, and I say young in terms of games, I think all of them will have about between them 60 games experience, um, give or take, maybe a bit less than that. So that's Lynch, Reeves, and Meek if he comes, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't think is a bad thing. It means you know they've all got their talents and all got their strengths and weaknesses. It means they'll be fighting and hungry because they'll want to get to top dog status, which is not a bad thing. Um, so, and then we've got young Rams, <coughs> excuse me, Rams, and I think it is who we took in the mid-season draft. So he'll have a couple of years to, you know, put some muscle on and whatever else, which would be good. So, yeah, I, I don't uh, think it's a bad thing at all. And um, that gives us depth that we didn't have this year. Although you're pretty unlucky to lose three players at the same time for the one position. Mm. So, uh, which is what happened uh, through the middle of the year. So yeah. um, you watch next year, we'll get our, three ruckmen in they'll all be fighting fit and will be struggling to play it'll be uh you know they'll, they'll uh, won't they won't be getting the opportunities they thought they were going to get by coming to somewhere like hawthorne yeah correct it'll be a ring of rosy for mm. you know play two games drop out for one so mm. yeah yeah darcy tucker and griffin Logue had both said they want to go from Fremantle to north melbourne i wonder whether their thoughts have changed after today's um media announcements well yeah exactly you have to question that um whether they might want to come to Hawthorne now that Clarko's not there. I don't know. Uh, mm. I'd certainly be playing that card. Um, and you got to ask the question about Josh Dunkley announcing he wants to go to Brisbane in the same vein. Mm. So, um, yeah, very interesting and how that all that's going to play out. And as you said before, who's going to uh, run pre-season at those clubs and control the dealings uh, you know, on the trade table? So, Because mm. uh, Brisbane are going to have a very interesting trade period given they've got um, some draft points to uh, collect so they can match their father-son bids. Yeah. Uh, and North Melbourne, with their assistance package announced earlier in the week, <coughs> excuse me, um, 
having uh, an extra second and third round pick that they have to use on a senior on a players to trade in. So yeah, um, yeah, going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. Mm. Um, AFL superstar Dyson Heppel has announced that he uh, has signed a new deal with Essendon and will be a one club player. Um, can't think of any other signings or announcements this week that um, were noteworthy or um, worthy of mention. Can you? Uh, not from a signing perspective. I think that's probably the main one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of interesting delistings coming yeah. through, mainly out of calling with the Brown boys, both delisted at the same time. So obviously been uh, usurped by the Dacos boys, um, mm-hmm. which is probably fair enough. Uh, it's just, it's interesting. Uh, Collingwood's good pace, case in point. New coach comes in, certain players are mainstays under the old coach, and then all of a sudden, at least three of them in the Brown Boys and Grundy, surplus to requirements within 12 months. Hmm. Um, yeah, just interesting how that all rolls around. So, um, yeah, so, uh, but I, I can't think of anyone else who's signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no Sydney forward that used to pay for Hawthorne that's um, added another year onto his contract. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I, I have enjoyed Buddy coming out and taking a few swipes at his detractors, saying, mm-hmm. uh, "You know, you didn't think I'd get halfway through the nine-year contract, and I'm actually going for ten and maybe eleven. So go and stick yeah. it up your jumper." So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's um, he's been uh, pretty funny coming out and yeah. saying that. So good on him. And uh, I think it just uh, ensures that he will end up in uh, fourth place on the all-time goal-kicking ladder, mm. pretty much. So, yeah. Good on him. Um, and, you know, he's playing in, uh, well, maybe not career best form, but he's still play- certainly playing well enough to be offered that extension. And uh, it's not a shock to me that he eventually signed and decided to stay at Sydney. It um, makes perfect sense, especially where they are, because... Um, well, I mean, we know that it can turn quickly, but you know mm. that they'll be up the top end of the ladder again next year. So why not stay at a club where you know you'll be competing, um, and um, competitive out your career? Yeah, absolutely. I, I suppose I was surprised by the timing, in terms of, um, you know, potentially if you go out with a premiership, what better way is there to go out? Mm. Uh, however, um, yeah, who knows best for him? And, and good luck to yeah. him, I say. So. Mm. Yeah, uh, just a bit of an update on the uh, Bombers coaching merry-go-round. Uh, just before we came uh, on to record, uh, apparently um, Adam Uze had a second interview to, or today, or it came out today, it may have been in the last day or so, with the club at which the club president um, was in attendance. Uh, this comes at the same time as um, the rumor mill suggesting Heard hasn't been approached yet to um, give a second interview. So um, you'd have to say that that perhaps um, puts Uze well and truly at the forefront uh, for favoritism to be coaching at the Bombers next year. Yeah. And I actually quite like that. Mm. So if uh, I think you do a lot worse, as I've said previously. So mm. Yeah. Oh, look, uh, you know, he, he's obviously impressed them enough to get that second interview. And if the president's coming in now, that's a fairly certain sign that they'll be um, at least presenting that to the board as an option. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone else gets offered the chance to give that second interview and second presentation and what that means. Well, the way the bombers roll, it's just that his uh, laptop was working and his PowerPoint presentation was. Well. Isn't that how you guys yeah, do yeah, it? Yeah, he, <laughs> um, he actually knew how to use technology and that's what sorted <laughs> out maybe, yeah. Mm. That's it. So, yeah. So, yeah. yes. We haven't actually discussed, uh, and we didn't even put on the run sheet. How, gosh, how can we do? It? We didn't even discuss the Brownlow Hamish. Oh, look, um, we, I, I was going to get to that, but we can bring it up now. That's fine. Um, I think that um, they obviously minted two awards this year: one for Paddy Cripps and one for his lawyer. And uh, his lawyer must be <laughs> congratulated for um, getting that award on Sunday night. Uh, um, well done. Yes. Um, yes. Look. I'm being a little facetious there. I think that Patrick Cripps was going to win a Brownlow medal in his career. I think it's um, a little odd that it was a legal technicality that got him off, not necessarily um, a statement of fact that he shouldn't have been um, rubbed out in the first place. So uh, he's probably a little bit lucky that he got it this year. But um, having said that at the same time, it was um, an exciting count to watch. I 
um, again, because I was on the Gold Coast, I wasn't actually expecting to get to watch the um, oh, yes. round low middle count because I was supposed to be flying back to Melbourne, but I um, uh, my flight was cancelled and I managed to sneak in most of the count at the Star Casino um, in on the Gold Coast, which is where I ended up finding a room uh, to stay the night that that was another saga but that's not a story for this podcast so um it was it look it was an exciting end to it to see him do that and um i don't think it was a shock to anyone when it, he was that close mm. coming into the last round given that you know even though they got smashed by um collingwood he was by far and away best on ground so that three votes wasn't really a shock and um yeah those one point margins are massive <laughs> yeah <laughs> i suppose with collingwood though that's uh that's, yeah, that's, that's a massive win for them for the <laughs> right. season, absolutely. And I mean, look, that, when I say smashed, it's you know they were out, they knocked them out of the finals, not necessarily the actual yeah, I know. result on the scoreboard, but um, yeah. yeah, like it was clear he was clearly best on ground that day. And mm. um, look, he deserves a Brownlow medal in his career. He's carried that football club for a long time, and you know I must say he's um his speech was refreshing as well. You know, he's just a um a country guy that loves his footy and um, loves his mates. And I think that's, um, we need to see more of that. Yeah. I think that shone through in the speech. It was actually mm. uh, a really good uh, post speech. Um, certainly yeah. not uh, your traditional bland. I've got my speech prepared and it was fairly off the cuff and you could tell he probably had a couple of beers and whatever else, which is perfectly fine. I know there's been stories about too much alcoholism at the Brownlow and, um, you know, being the moral crusaders we are against alcohol. Yeah. How abhorrent is that? But, uh, um, you know, um, yeah, it's a story for another podcast, that one, but yeah. uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with the player having a couple of beers, no. Um, but uh, the um, I think that I was talking with the flick, you know, during the count, I forced her to watch it, romantic man that I am, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, it wasn't since 2003 where we had a three way tie for the victory and a three way tie for second of one vote back. And there was every chance that, that was going to happen um, mm. this time around. And, um, yeah, there could have been six or seven, six players, I think, who could have won it coming into the second last round, which is mm. pretty much the AFL's dream every year, but it doesn't always happen. So, yeah. Yeah. The only um, criticism I would have of the coverage, and, you know, I, I say this understanding that I am a degenerate gambler and like to gamble and did have a bet on the Brownlow, but the amount of coverage of different betting options throughout the um, count, I do take issue with only because yes, it's a late night, but there would have been kids watching. There would have been plenty of people under 18. And I just, um, it irks me that um, they they just keep talking about that and um, normalizing it um, as an activity that's associated with sport. I like to do it and I make choices about it, but um, you know, I just don't think it should be normalised as that's something that you definitely have to do and is definitely associated with the sport. No, oh, it was, I, I hated it. Um, it. The first couple of times, every second ad break or whatever, how Brownie popped his head up with the sports bet odds, I was just like, are you serious, Channel 7? Like, mm. And then different, how many different markets and blah, 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 and different yeah. multis they could have going. And I was like, seriously, have we come to this where the sport and Channel 7 needs this money from sports bet for advertising yeah. uh, to televise this. Um, and it's high time, uh, in my opinion, uh, and I can be held down by others, but for someone who doesn't really bet, apart from the odd flutter at the pub tab from having a couple of beers with mates or whatever, mm. uh, it's high time that uh, gambling went a similar way that alcohol and tobacco sponsorships went uh, in the 80s and 90s, yeah. in my opinion, because... When you've got kids under 10 coming up and going, oh, this team's going to win. Like, why is that, mate? Oh, because the TV guy said that they're paying $1.20. Mm. Oh, that, that's not on. Yeah. So, uh, for parents, it's a, you know, you want to be able to watch sport, but you've got to make a choice. Do I watch sport and expose my kids to gambling ads? Mm. Therefore, normalizing gambling. Because um, sport, as we've all, everyone says, is a family entertainment. Mm. And yet we're, you know, so it's, look, and I don't like, I'm someone who doesn't like too much regulation, but uh, in this case, it's certainly gone way too far. Mm. So I'll be happy for governments to crack down like they did with smoking and, and alcohol advertising. However, I, look, um, I suspect yes. it's gone further than those two ever did, so. Yeah. 
yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how they wind it back, given how much money they get out of it as well. Well, that yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So that's the that's where it lies. But uh, you know, for me, uh, when you've got young kids coming up and talking about it as if it is normal, um, that's not good, and that should no. be the catalyst for mm. change. So, yeah. Anyway, we shall see. Uh, I see that. Um... Gillen's had a bit of a thought bubble on the way out talking about um, the potential for a magic round in coming years. Yes, this could be his lasting legacy. Yeah. So in a direct uh, copying of the NRL who have a round uh, played in Brisbane every year where all 16 teams play in the one city yeah. across the weekend. Uh, uh, evidently, it's ultra successful from a uh, numbers patronage uh, and ratings point of view. Um, and uh, Gillen has flagged that this may well occur from next year or the year after in the AFL. Yeah. Uh, and thus creating an additional round, so 24 weeks, uh, so that teams are not um, giving up home games and mm. you know, all those sort of things that have to be factored in with uh, ground contracts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and, um, yeah, so to be uh, a hot debate as to which city it's uh, played in. Um, yeah. But the strong consensus will be that it won't be Melbourne. Uh, if it is, it'll be Sydney or Brisbane because you've got two grounds to host nine games. Yeah. Perth and Adelaide have only got one ground, which would be pretty heavy lifting for that particular ground. So, yeah. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they do it and how it rolls out and, um, you know, how many double headers or triple headers we have and that sort of thing at the one ground. Like that'd be for a football diehard like myself, I'd be happy to turn up at two o'clock and, watch at the MCG watch two or, you know, two games in a row and um, one of them has your team and the other doesn't but um well even three go yeah. for the uh go for the 210 the 440 and the 725 mm. um, uh, yeah you wonder whether um it would probably have to be a Thursday Friday Saturday Sunday affair and maybe one on Thursday night and then two on each of the other or two or three on yeah. each of the other days to get it through you'd think oh absolutely of course it would there's mm. no doubt about that um mm. but uh, look it's an interesting interesting concept i think the afl has seen that the nrl round is successful and want a mm. piece of the action so uh why not yeah how'd the hawks go in the aflw last weekend uh they got pumped again again <laughs> which is unsurprising given mm. they were playing uh, the bulldogs who are undefeated yeah uh, i think the uh, alarming thing for me with the hawthorne girls is that uh uh they're going backwards in terms of scoring i think we scored 34 against you 10 against St Kilda, 9 against Richmond, and now 7 against the Bulldogs. So we are tracking backwards at a rate of knots. However, the conditions on, uh, I think it was Saturday afternoon uh, at Box Hill were not conducive to scoring, the uh, end result being 37 to 7. Uh, And uh, if I was working in the office on Saturday afternoon and uh, looking out my windows at about quarter time in that game, the rain was torrential. And I'm not mm. sure any game of football would have got out of a glue pot center square, um, regardless of who's playing. So, uh, look, all media reports coming out of the club is that the girls are, are putting in, you know, heaps of effort, uh, trying their hardest, uh, but they just cannot generate avenues to score. And that's the biggest concern for the club uh, at the moment. Uh, so, pleasing in one way that uh, effort can't be um, faulted, uh, but certainly. Uh, effort in terms of scoring patterns and things like that, uh, which has already been called out by uh, Beck Goddard, the head coach. Um, that, that's where they need to improve. Um, but I think, uh, you know, we know as Hawthorne AFL women's team, they've set out uh, with a fairly young list, um, mm-hmm. lost a couple of key players early in the season for the remainder of the season. So uh, it is going to be a battle for this year. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, we've got to look at the positives and, you know, a couple of the youngsters who were drafted. Um, Jasmine Fleming, I think it was, had 25 touches and eight clearances, uh, as did one of her her teammates. Um, so when the youngsters are getting those sort of numbers in in those sort of conditions, that's heartening, uh, and and definitely things to build on. So um, I think uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough uh, final six or seven games. However, uh, Hawthorne are playing Sydney at Punt Road Oval on Friday. Uh, teams have a combined percentage of about 49 i think it is so someone will walk away a winner um, yeah. and uh, hopefully it's us 
Yes, yes. Um, it was a tough, tough weekend for the Bombers girls. Um, it, they seem to be making a habit of um, losing close games to their arch enemies after going mm. down um, against Carlton. This week it was a two-point loss to Richmond. Um, and um, they seem to be making a habit, which I don't like, of um, getting behind in some of these games, staging an epic comeback, but not quite getting across the line. So um, they need to they need to work out what's going on there and um, turn that around quickly and not have those sorts of come those sorts of issues where the comebacks are happening there. But I think um, you know they'll be able to work through that going forward, yeah. and it'll be a learning experience for them. Um, Probably a good problem to have rather yeah. than the other way around, right? That's so, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you know some of the standout players. Um, I I didn't watch the game live, but I have um, looked at a lot of the highlights and the replay. Um, some of the standout players were um, Steph Kane, uh, sixteen possessions. Um, Maddie Prasparkas had a quieter day, um, but she was still one of the better on field. Uh, only eleven, only eleven possessions for her um, when oh she's had um, over twenty in her first three games. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all and there, there were three goals, six for the game. So um, three individual goal scorers, um, two good Bannister and Clark. Yeah. Uh, interesting time for their game. They're playing on Friday with the public holiday in Melbourne. So it's a game against Collingwood at three ten in the afternoon. Um, so if the weather's all right, I might head mm. down there. Playing at Olympic Park. So um, oh nice. Wander in and um, see if I can um, check that out and um, cheer the team on. Yes. Uh, well, for Hawks fans, the girls are playing at five ten. Mm. That's uh, Punt Road Oval at the Swinburne Centre. I think they call it these days. I think but, yes. Yeah. The the sponsorship title, mm. um, the naming rights sponsor. It is the Swinburne Centre. You are correct. Yes. But uh, interestingly, it's a Sydney home game. At Punt Road, so maybe the AFL are uh, working early on the uh, magic round for the AFL <laughs> AFLW. Maybe so, yes, they're yeah. just sorting that out early and testing it out without really telling anyone that they're doing it. Yeah, correct. So I think Melbourne will be pretty well alive on uh, on Friday, I think, with uh, the parade and then yeah. a couple of AFLW games straight afterwards. You know, at uh, Olympic Park, as you say, and then across the way at Punt Road. So there's a fair bit going on in the city this Friday, which would be good mm. fun. So. If you can get out there, uh, do so. But uh, watch out for the rain, I think is yeah. the key message. So That is true. Uh, unfortunately, the weather is not looking great for this weekend. But um, before we wrap up the podcast, there is still one game of men's football to go this season, believe it or not. Despite what um, was happening today in the media, there is still a game to go. And it's still um, after 198 regular season, um, season matches. We have one game left. Uh, who's going to win and why? Oh, uh, I was saying today I would like Sydney to win. However, I suspect Geelong will. Yeah. Uh, having said that, uh, teams who often win easily in preliminary finals don't go on and win that often. In grand finals, it would seem. I haven't got any stats to back that up, but... Uh, it does seem that the easier preliminary final winners tend to come off second best in the grand final. So, mm. um, it, uh, look, I think I think Geelong are just a lot, a bit more even across the ground and a bit more experienced yeah. uh, across the ground. Yeah, they've got a defence that can hold everyone else's forward lines uh, to minimal scores, and they've got a forward line that can uh, be a little anyone else's defense yeah. realistically. Uh, Sydney do have a good record against the Cats. I think uh, there was a stat that came out the other day saying that they hold the longest streak against Geelong. I think there's uh, Sydney on two wins since their last loss to Geelong. Hawthorne and uh, I can't remember the other team have one win against the Cats uh, in their last outing and then everyone else's last outing against the Cats with a loss. So, yeah. uh, so certainly Geelong will hold no fears for the Swans. Uh, I just think they'll probably get it done a bit better on the day. Um, I would like to see the Swans win. Mainly, I'd love to see Buddy tear a grand final apart. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, he played brilliantly against Hawthorne in 2014, but unfortunately, the rest of his team was just smashed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kicking four goals, two or something in a losing side where you lose by 10 goals is, is no mean feat. Um, but I'd love to see him come out and kick six or seven and uh, tear one apart and 
go out with a bank, so to speak, even though he's playing next year. So uh, Hart says Sydney, Head says the Cats. What do you reckon? Uh, I'm sort of similar to you. I guess um, the thing that sort of plays in Sydney's favour is um, they have beaten the Cats this season. Yeah. Uh, so that's not something that many teams could say um, out of this season's worth of football. So um, that's a big thing for them. Yeah, well, you know, but, um, <laughs> I see you waving your hand around there, but there haven't been many others that um, uh, that could say that they were part of that. So that's a good thing for them. That's a positive sign that others can't really um, stick their hand up for. Uh, they had a tougher game last week, but, uh, you know, they, I think they, Sydney brings a, a, a sense of pressure, especially around the ball that a lot of other teams haven't, that um, if they can lock up some of the freewheeling play from the Cats, if they can lock up Dangerfield, if they can lock up Selwood, if they can make it harder for Stewart to run off half, half back and um, get some of his free-flowing possessions as well, I think there's... um. I think there's a game plan there that they can win um, if they play a similar game to what they played against Collingwood. But having said that, if um, if the Cats come out of the block and hit the ground running and um, get to play the game on their terms, they could also win relatively easily. Like, it, yeah, it's, yeah. I, I, I think it all really depends on how Sydney starts and if they can lock down the, name, the game quickly enough. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, if you look at sort of sort of positional stuff, I think the Ruckman kind of cancel each other out. I mean, mm-hmm. Tom Hickey's been a great pickup for the Swans, but um, certainly wouldn't be in the upper echelon of yeah. Ruckman. And we know the Cats, uh, you know, always that's been one of their criticisms over the years. Yeah. Uh, as I said before, you know, Sydney's forward line is pretty dynamic when you've got Buddy, Packley, uh, and Goulden and these types floating around there. Sam Reid will be interesting whether he gets up mm. to play or not and what does that do for their structure and things like that. Um, yeah, and then DeLong's defence is, is pretty strong to counter that. Um, they all communicate and, and get off each other's man easily and well. Uh, and then at the other end of the ground, you know, DeLong got great forward line with Rowan and Hawkins and Cameron and Stengel and these types. Yeah, then you look at Sydney's defence, you've got the McCartan brothers, mm. uh, Rampy, who can play tall or small, and, and a couple of others you know, running off half-back. Uh, and then you look at the middle of the ground and you go, wow, it's just going to be a battle, brutal battle in there this week. Uh, yeah. and particularly if it's a bit wet and greasy, um, there's going to be no holds barred. And perhaps someone like uh, Isaac Heaney holds the, the game in his hand yeah. with that bit of X-factor. Yeah, or a Stingle or somebody like that for Geelong. Um, yeah, it's just going to be one of those days, I think, where it could be either way yeah, or a five or six goal margin. I can't see it blowing out beyond that. Um, I think it'd be pretty tight up until the 20-minute mark and maybe a couple of cheap ones at the end to make it look a bit worse than it was. Yeah. Or it's going to be right down to the very last kick of the game. So, mm. uh, yeah, for me, head says Geelong, as I said, they'll probably win by three, four goals, to be honest. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's my take on it. Yep. Who's your Norm Smith? Uh, depends. Like, it de- I think it depends on who wins. Um, yeah. I actually think that um, that um, the biggest uh, X factor for me is in the ruck. I think that um, Tom Hickey could have a huge influence on this game, given that he can actually ruck and he's playing against mm. a team that haven't really had a ruckman all season i mean it hasn't stopped them clearly and um that you know they've won 15 in a row but um yeah you know if he can um have a massive influence on the game i think that could go a big way to um you know if that and that helps control the stoppages i think that could go a big way to influencing the results so i'm going to say if that if um if sydney win it's going to be because of tom hickey and he's going to win the norm smith there you go Um, i like it if um, juicy odds for that yeah if geelong win uh, i'm going to put it on jeremy cameron because i reckon he'll kick six there you go. I like yeah. that. Uh, yeah, no, for me, I think it's, as I said, Isaac Heaney. I think uh, he's the one player who could probably get away just because he's got that mix of middle plus uh, forward play that, you know, is hard to counter. Um, and he's pretty dynamic uh, and he could easily kick four or five. Mm. Um, and if it's the Cats, I think Mark Blitzarves 
just because the cats will put him wherever they're struggling and he'll probably yep. plug the hole and do it very well. Yeah. Probably lead them to victory. Yep. So, yeah. So there's, there's my tips. Mm. Where will you be watching the game on the weekend? Well, I, well, I'm flying out on Saturday night to Perth. So, uh, I will be either on my couch, home alone, ready to go to the airport or mm. out at a friend's place, uh, for the barbecue with uh, with the kids and everything like that. I'll, I'll duck off early from there. But uh, yeah, what about yourself? Well, I, I wasn't uh, successful in the MCC ballot this year, unfortunately. So I will be um, braving the weather at about 6am on Saturday morning, lining up outside gate two in the hope of um, getting <laughs> a seat when they open the gates at eight. Yes. Um, I'm not, I you know, it's... It, I, it's the last two years with the first grand finals I'd missed since 2006. So um, yeah. it, I have a habit of doing that and um, I won't sort of break that habit. I'm also not too fussed if I don't get it. Of course, I'd rather be there, but um, if, if I'm not there, I'll um, uh, probably head to a local pub and catch mm. up with a few people there and have a couple of beers. But um, the preference would be to be at the game. Oh, absolutely. I think mm. it's going to be a cracking game either yeah. way. So uh, I agree with you. It'd be great to be there. But um, yeah, I think... Uh... Yeah, could be one for the ages. This one. Oh, look, I um, it's great that it's back in Melbourne. I think there could um be easily uh ninety nine hundred thousand people there. Um, it's it's a sellout in all the other areas, and I think that um the MCC members will embrace this one, given that they paid their membership for two years and not being able to go to a grand final. So I think it'll be a massive crowd, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I hmm? agree with you hundred percent. Having chatted to a few people who are. If similar mind to yourself, you know, paid our dues and have been able to utilize it. Boxing day was a bit of a farce given it lasted barely three days or whatever. Yeah. So um, now it's the time to make it count. So yeah. So you exactly. might want to get there at 3 a.m. instead of 6 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I, look, I, if I get there at 6, I will. I reckon I'll still get a seat, but it'll be well and truly up the top of the um, level yeah. four. So Yes, you won't be racing down the front, that's for sure. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that has been the grand final edition of the Line in the Sand podcast. Uh, if you did enjoy this episode, please make sure you tell your friends and family and leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Uh, please make sure you also like our Facebook page at Line in the Sand podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you after the grand final next week. Good night, everyone.